Welcome to Feminist Question Time, brought to you by Women's Declaration International, the leading global organization defending women's sex-based rights against the threats posed by gender identity ideology. There's more information on our website, womensdeclaration.com, where you'll find our declaration on women's sex-based rights, which has been signed by 31,225 people from 159 countries and is supported by 440 organizations. We have over 100 volunteer activists, including 53 country contacts engaged in defending women's rights. I'm really pleased because this week we have Thistle Peterson, Thistle M. Peterson from the USA, and she's going to be talking about reflections on organizing recent Madison feminist events. We have Nadia from Ukraine, who will be talking about women's role in the fight against Russia. We have Sally Wainwright from Scotland, who will be talking about the WDI 2020 report, which will be a book, and the Scottish consultation on gender identity, um, which she'll explain. And we have Mara Rocoy, Matria activist, from Spain originally, but 25 years in the UK and currently in Scotland. The title of her talk is Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I'm really pleased now to introduce our first speaker, who is Thistle M. Peterson. Thistle is a singer-songwriter, a preschool teacher, an eco-feminist, bicycle enthusiast and community gardener living and working in Madison, Wisconsin, WI. Um, she founded WLRN, Women's Liberation Radio News, in 2016 in response to censorship of lesbian and radical feminist voices on Wart 89.9 FM. Recently, Thistle was cited with a hate crime felony charge for allegedly putting up a turf collective sticker. So thank you so much for coming, Thistle, and uh, over to you. As mentioned in, in the introduction, I was cited with a uh, disorderly conduct uh, with a hate crime enhancement citation, a, a charge that was eventually dismissed in Madison um, last summer for allegedly putting a sticker up on a, on a media box on State Street. And um, I shared this information. I had to hire a lawyer and I shared this information privately with feminists to raise money to get the lawyer to get the trans activists off my back. I was worried about my employment. Um, Lear Keith uh, heard about it and she reached out to me and said, you know, we could organize around this. And it took me a little while to build up my courage to uh, come out and do it, but I had already been out and proud for years as a, a, a radical feminist and I decided, you know, if they were going to fire me for speaking out further than they were going to fire me for speaking out further. And I was willing to make that sacrifice. Thankfully, I did not lose my job um, after or organizing this event. Um, so I'm, I think it's getting easier and easier for us to be out and proud as radical feminists. Um, my boss actually, um, you know, she took me aside. I was so scared. And um, we had, because she had heard about some of this stuff and, and everything was fine. She's like, you know, you leave that outside the door. I, I'm not listed on the website, um, which is good for my protection and um, the protection of, of my employment. 
Um, and it was great, you know, to find out that she was like, yeah, your time is your time. And, you know, I actually kind of agree with you. So that was really awesome to have that experience, um, moving from fear into courage. And the name of the panel discussion was indeed Courage Calls to Courage, Feminists Speak in Solidarity. And then the name of the weekend of events was called Sisters for Sisters. And so there was a big emphasis on solidarity, on sisterhood, on being courageous and coming out into the streets and turfing the town. Um, so it was an ad hoc organizing committee, women from a variety of organizations. There was not one organization that was um, producing the, the events. WLRN was a part of it. Um, in terms of the library talk, we live streamed that. And um, there wasn't any media, any mainstream media at all, which is so disappointing because I sent out various press releases. Carrie Bruss helped me to craft a really well thought out, beautiful press release. I sent out a, another press release that was focused more on the panel discussion and no media paid any attention to it. So that was disappointing. Um, but let's see, the whole thing was structured around a public library panel discussion. Uh, a couple of years ago in Seattle, Wolf organized the Fighting the New Misogyny panel discussion at the Seattle Public Library, and we took a lot of inspiration from that. Um, and that there also sprung up a, a village of women around that panel discussion in Seattle. And this time, we decided to uh, make that more official, and we created a group that was called Sisters for Sisters um, to make a whole weekend of planned and organized events for women to come to. There were some you know, differences in our, our personalities um, and styles of organizing and of course you know, confronting or being with trans activists face to face in the streets is kind of a stressful situation. Um, and so, you know, different personalities kind of clashed sometimes, but we were able to, I think, as a group of organizers and also the, the attendees, we had 70 women come to this, this weekend. We were able to really keep our eyes on the prize and focus on uh, the purpose of us, um, not being afraid and going into the streets proudly holding up our signs, speaking our minds. So when you arrived on Friday, uh, I would say about half of the women were from the Midwest and the other half were flying in from all over the country. You went to Lear Keith's hotel room to register and you received this lovely swag bag. There's lots of stickers in this swag bag. And this right here, look at this sticker. This is the sticker. It is the sticker that I allegedly put on the media box on State Street. So women, 70 women were given this swag bag. Here's a nice little WLRN shiny keychain. Um, there was candy, gum, all kinds of, um, you know, goods that you may need when you're out on the streets turfing the town. We also provided this lovely map of um, Madison with the Venus symbols uh, on State Street and all around State Street um, with a quote from, if you're a Harry Potter fan, you might recognize this quote. It says, I solemnly swear that I am up to no good. And so this was our map for turfing the town. 
And so women were armed with their swag bag and the map on Friday evening, and then we all went over for a potluck to a community center, Sisters Feed Sisters, and we had a nonviolent direct action training after that led by Lier that was fantastic. It was so good to just get our fears out and also to hear the philosophy of what nonviolence is, that we were to remain calm as they like yelled in our faces and that we could use singing and chanting as a, as you know, a tactic to further unify and um, to keep them away from us, but that we were not going to react. And so we did all these role plays on Friday night and that was very useful the next day because the next day saturday morning um we got up and we turfed the town the turfs were let loose into madison with their maps and with their stickers and the results were documented in this beautiful slideshow that beth lowe one of the organizers put together and is available on the sisters for sisters youtube channel um of all the stickers that just appeared all over Madison amongst the trans activist stickers. And I have to say, we had so many more than they did. Um, they weren't up for that long. Um, and I actually, the next day, I or like on Monday, I was going down State Street on my bike and I ran into the guy who was like, it was his job to scrape down all the stickers and he was not happy. Um, but anyway, so, they turfed the town, the women turfed the town in, in the morning on Saturday, and then we all went to the library, the downtown library, um, for the panel discussion. And that's where the trans activists were waiting for the women standing in line. The speakers went through the back entrance into the library, and there were confrontations. The deprogrammer was there, Jenna DeQuarto from WLRN was there, and their technology, and I was really proud of like what I saw what they were doing with Amy Souza was like the anchor woman and then Kay Yang was on the ground and it, it the video is fantastic. That's on the WLRN YouTube channel of that first confrontation with the trans activists outside of the library. And then somehow um, our information leaked that we were going to be doing a group photo. Actually, I don't think the trans activists knew about the speaker's corner. Um, I had mentioned it in my press release to, you know, various Madison media, but I, I don't know. The, the photo was leaked at the public library event. You know, these things, it's like, it's a careful balance, right? And you just have to go in with faith in the end and trust that our hive mind is going to make good decisions because it's, it can be a volatile um, situation when you have trans activists uh, with feminists in the same space. And so anyway, at the library, it was accidentally leaked that we were going to be gathering up at the Lady Forward statue at the top of State Street for a group photo. And so, of course, when we got there, all of the, you know, a big horde of trans activists were there. I had applied and got, and I had a City of Madison permit for us to be there. We had a sound system set up for the speaker's corner. And um, I have to say that the speaker's corner by far was the crowning jewel of the entire weekend. It was so amazing to see the bravery of the women who they had all been invited to prepare like a three to five minute speech ahead of time if they wanted to take advantage of the speaker, speaker's corner. And dozens of women did. And um, it was hosted by Jennifer Thomas, and 
it was in WLRN live streamed it and um, we also kind of uh, we covered it because like I said the the absence of, of media is that absence was so loud their silence and their silencing is so loud um, and so we really need indie media and women's media because they're just not going to cover it right before um, our events, WORT 89.9 FM, the community radio station here in Madison that has tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of listeners all over the world, um, but especially here in Madison, they announced that they would never allow lesbian or radical feminist content that's critical of transgenderism on their radio station ever again, you know, and um, <laughs> So anyway, it's just, it's sad. It does, when, when a tree falls in a forest, if no one's there to hear it, does it make a sound? Yes, it does. It makes a sound. And we were there to hear it, but we've kind of got this echo chamber, you know, like a, a, a bubble in a way. And we were on the streets, and I just wish so much that there had been more media coverage. But you sisters can help out with that. You can spread that historic speaker's corner video uh, footage that's on the WLRN channel, um, YouTube channel, there's like 1,400 views um, right now. So, you know, it'd be great if it got up to like 10,000 because it was quite an event. It was like, you know, nobody knew what was going to happen. Like, um, for example, when we got there and the trans activists were in our permitted space and they were refusing to leave, I had my permit, I had it printed out, and I showed it to the police. And you can hear Jenna recorded the conversation with the police and it's just brilliant. There's like a minute long clip of that conversation in the speaker's corner um, coverage, WLRN coverage. But they basically said that keeping the peace, which was them allowing the trans activists to be where we were supposed to be, was more important than the permit. And so we kind of like argued, but we, all three of us, we have street skills. And so we didn't let it escalate with the police, but we were challenging them, you know, to honor the permit. And they, they did not. And so then women were bold and um, it was our space, right? And so somebody, I don't know who it was, but someone was like, hey, let's all get up on the steps and join arms. I don't know if we were arm in arm. I think we were arm in arm or we were linked by our elbows and we started singing woman adult human female woman adult human female woman adult human female and we sang that and it changed everything and they weren't the trans activists just they were yelling you know trans women are women and all this stuff behind us but the song was just so powerful and we just kept singing it and singing it and singing it at the top of our lungs. And then it was time for the speaker's corner. And it was just fascinating from like a sociological point of view to see how everyone behaved. And, and every, you know, there, there was some mixing and some mingling between the trans activists and the feminists and conversations, conversations and seeds were planted and um, it, you know, and then there were passers-by, and they were curious, and uh, it was a fantastic event. So after that, we had um, dinner, a dinner break, and then we had the variety show. And any woman in our village, our Sisters for Sisters village, was invited to get up and perform her poetry, 
her dance, her comedy. Um, and so we had several performers, including Exo Lancic. She sang some songs. And uh, Katie Jean from Femax News, she did some stand-up comedy. And I presented my new album, Spinning and Weaving, named after the uh, book, the feminist anthology that Elizabeth Miller put out. She's been on the show to talk about that. It has a very beautiful little booklet with it with a re review of the album by Lear Keith and some of my doodles. And then um, it has 12 songs. And I got to present some of those songs and also offer my CD during the variety show portion um, of, the, of the weekend. And something I wanted to say about both the Speaker's Corner and the variety show and the structure of what we did is we created a little democracy, right? We, we created an, a place where anybody, any woman could, you just had to be female. Actually, at the Speaker's Corner, if it was ladies first is what Jen Thomas said on the microphone. Ladies first, of course, um, but anyone was welcome. No men spoke. There was not a single man who spoke. I thought that was interesting. But at the variety show, it was um, women only, and every woman a cis star, right? Every woman, my light shining does not diminish your light shining. Let's create structures where everybody has a chance to speak and to shine and to um, perform. So I really liked that about the philosophy of what we were doing. Um, and so getting back to the weekend, we had the variety show. Then the next day, Sunday, we woke up and bright and early we started with all of the workshops. And we had so many pe women sign up to do workshops. It was packed. And um, many of those workshops were live streamed and you can find them on the WLRN YouTube channel. We had Dr. Arla Heil speaking about, she's a biologist, and she was speaking on, you know, logical arguments or things that you can say to TRAs, talking points about factual reality, biological reality. Um, we had uh, Lear Keith spoke about patriarchy versus planet Earth, yes. Um, and Beth Stelser was there, and she did an Ask Me Anything session that was really good. Anyway, lots of speakers. If you go to the um, Sisters for Sisters 2022.com, uh, I think it's .com, uh, maybe somebody can put that link in the chat. Um, there on that website, the, the uh, workshops are listed and so you can uh, look, look there. And then also if you just go to the WLRN YouTube channel, you can see the workshops that happened on Sunday. And then we had a fire, we had a turf fire and it was, I rode my bike there and it was super windy and it sparked up and we had a remembrance for Peggy Lures, who is a lesbian feminist activist in, in uh, America who uh, recently died. And so we had a remembrance for her at the fire and for all of our beloved um, lost sisters at the fire. And then that was it. The, the weekend was over. It was really, really a beautiful weekend. So we're now going to go to our second speaker, who is Nadia, and she's from Ukraine and is going to talk to us about women in the Ukrainian army, female Ukrainian volunteers and activists. So hello to everyone. I'm Ukrainian and Russia invaded my country eight years ago in 2014. And today I will not talk about gender ideology because when there is a war and genocide in my country, unfortunately, nobody thinks about this. 
In 2014, Russia occupied Ukrainian Crimea and parts of Donetsk and Luhansk regions and started killing, raping, and torturing our people. As our webinar is about feminism, I will dwell on how Ukrainian women have been suffering from Russian aggression and fighting against it. In 21st century, on territories occupied by Russia, there is a concentration camp called Izolatia, where Ukrainians are being tortured and held as captives. The head of the torture chamber was simply obsessed with sex. He raped dozens of Ukrainian women who were illegally detained in the camp. Uh, what was happening in the Izolatia since 2014 terrified even people with 20 years of concentration camp experience. February 21st, uh, when, uh, is the day when Russia launched a second full-scale invasion of Ukraine. The day when I woke up from the sounds of explosions, the darkest day of my life. Since that time, uh, Russians killed tens thousands of Ukrainian women, including pregnant women with their non-born children. 3,000 Ukrainian women reported to the police that they were raped by Russian soldiers, and there are more who can't report because they were killed after being raped. Millions of our women fled to Poland as refugees, and uh, those who are pregnant after being raped by Russian soldiers can get an abortion due to the Polish legislation. Formerly, they are allowed to get an abortion as they are victims of rape, but it is extremely hard to prove uh, that a woman was raped. Do not get me wrong. I'm grateful for the help of, uh, for our refugees in Poland, provided by the Polish government and people. But struggles with access to abortion is a serious problem our women are facing, women are facing in Poland. About 1,000 Ukrainian civilians are being held hostage by Russians. More than 500 of them are women. Hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian women have been forcefully relocated to Russia. All mention, mentioned about is uh, a genocide and a femicide. Ukrainian women are fighting for their country and for democracy in the Ukrainian army. 22% uh, of our armed forces are females. This is the highest percentage of women in the army in Europe. Also, Ukrainian women help our army as volunteers, help Ukraine as activists. For example, organize allies uh, all around the world, block Russian trucks at the Polish border, and just our women are fighting in every possible way. Russian war in Ukraine is not about men in the front line and women who are waiting for them at home. This is about both males and females resisting the Russian evil. One of the examples of heroic female resistance is our Katerina named uh, Tashka, which means bird in Ukrainian. She's 21 years old and she's a frontliner who defends the city of Mariupol. The, uh, despite the critical situation in Mariupol, uh, there are videos on the internet with her smiling and singing Ukrainian songs, and this is amazing. And I also have one important message from Ukrainian women whose relatives stuck at Azovstal plant in Mariupol with no access to humanitarian aid. As Russia seeks Mariupol, it doesn't stop shelling and bombing the plant. The message is, 
please sign a petition to call the United Nations to launch an urgent extraction procedure for defenders of Mariupol. Just go to Google and search for Save Mariupol and you will see the petition. According to what I mentioned, we must cancel everything Russian. One important thing to understand, all Russians are responsible for this war, including so-called feminists and liberals in Russia. I know Russian as the language of our oppressors and I can read what they write on the internet. They support their government, they verbally offend Ukrainian women, they have been silent of what Russian has done to our women for eight years. This is not feminism as sisterhood, this is nazism. Their so-called anti-war feminist resistance doesn't do anything except justification of themselves. I totally uh, understand that feminism is not about protecting men, but there is no way to protect only Ukrainian women. If you want to support Ukrainian women, please donate to Ukrainian army. Go to the pro-Ukrainian relies in your cities and demand your governments to provide Ukraine with more weapons, munitions, financial support and humanitarian aid, and also spread information about Ukraine from Ukrainians, not to let anyone silence Ukrainian voices. Thank you. So we're gonna now hear from Sally Wainwright. She's from Scotland. She's the WDI country contact for Scotland. And she is going to talk about uh, the WDI, that's Women's Declaration International 2022 report, which will be published in October-ish, uh, about the spread of gender identity ideology around the world and also about the Scottish consultation. So thank you so much, Sally, and over to you. So I am going to talk about the book, as Joe said, but first I just want to tell you a little bit about what's happening in Scotland. Um, a lot of you have possibly heard by now that the government's trying to introduce self-ID so there's um, a new piece of legislation sort of in front of the parliament at the moment called the Gender Recognition Reform Act, which will basically do three main things. It will um, allow self-ID um, and in order to get a gender recognition certificate, which um, acknowledges you as a member of the opposite sex, um, you need to live as a member of the preferred gender, what on earth that means, I don't know, but you have to live as if you were uh, in, in the acquired gender for a mere three months. And then you just go to a judge and you say, I've been living like a woman for the last three months and I intend to do that for the rest of my life. And they go, here you are, here's your gender recognition certificate, now you're legally a woman. That is it. Well, there's a sort of another three month trial period, but basically at the end of six months, that is it. So there's absolutely no safeguarding, no safeguarding for women, nothing to prevent sex offenders and violent men or uh, uh, money launderers, if it comes to that, or anybody else um, who wants to get these things for sort of nefarious purposes. There's nothing to stop them from just getting a certificate very, very simply. Um, and the other thing is there's no, no, there's no protection for um, people transitioning, transitioning uh, legally because... Um, you know, we know we've seen loads and loads of, of detransitioners, an increasing number of detransitioners, and the the bill does not um, allow for people to change their minds. Um, and that's particularly worrying because the second provision is that they're going to lower the age at which you're going to be able to um, self-ID into uh, the opposite gender um, to the age of 16. So we're going to have a bunch of confused adolescent gay boys and lesbians 
Um, being told really, well, it's all right, you're not queer, you're just a heterosexual member of the other sex, um, and going off and self-IDing as, um, as, as the opposite gender. Um, so that, that's very, very worrying. It means uh, from Scot Scotland's point of view, because um, if you're in England, you should, or the rest of the UK, England's uh, Wales or Northern Ireland, you should worry about this. Um, because uh, GRC's gender recognition certificates that are issued here are valid in the whole of the UK. And uh, the requirement to be able to get one if you weren't born in Scotland uh, is that you are ordinarily resident here, but there's no definition of ordinarily resident. Um, and it, it, they could interpret it in any which way. Maybe you're just renting a house for two weeks and then you can say that you're ordinarily resident. So. Scotland's going to become a tourist destination for 16 year olds who want to get married because the age of marriage has just been raised in England and Wales, I'm not sure about Northern Ireland, um, to 18, but it's still 16 here and you don't need parental consent. So we're going to have 16 year olds coming to Gretna Green, which is um, the southernest point in Scotland where people have traditionally come to take advantage of Scottish marriage laws. We have 16 year olds coming to um, Scotland both to get married um, and also to uh, legally change their gender. And then they're going to come back to um, the rest, uh, you know, elsewhere in, in, in Britain. So there is a consultation. The um, parliamentary committee, which is looking at this, is doing its own consultation. The government's done a couple and ignored every single word that women's rights organisations have said over the last two years. Um, but the parliamentary committee, which is cons consists of members of the Scottish Parliament, which will be a cross-party uh, committee, um, has got a consultation. Unfortunately, it finishes on Monday, but I'm going to ask anybody who lives in anywhere in the UK, if you could take just 10 minutes and, and complete the, the consultation, it would be really, really good. Um, because there's two versions of it. You can There's a, there's a sort of long version with, um, well, there's a dozen questions, I think, with text boxes where you can write something. If you've got time to write a dozen sentences, that's ideal. Um, but there's also a short version, which has just got tick boxes. Um, and literally you can just um, take things I'll in the chat afterwards I'll put some links if that's okay um, to, to uh, also to some information about um, uh, what you might want to say. Um, WDI Scotland has done or is, is in the process of putting in a, a lengthy cons uh, consultation response but you know the more voices that we can get uh, speaking for us uh, the better so I hope everybody We'll do that. Um, and if you want to know anything, please feel free to get in touch with me. I've got some information that I can just send out to anybody who wants it. So, yeah, if it sounds like madness personified, that's because it is. Um, but that's our first minister for you, I'm afraid. Uh, so really, when we see this sort of thing happening in Scotland, but I know it's not only happening in Scotland, it's happening in so many places uh, around the world. I think it makes uh, the idea of us doing a book or a, a, a report even more important. So I'm going to talk a little bit about, about the book. Um, as Joe said, we hope to publish that in October. Um, and our current working title, as, as Joe mentioned, is the spread of gender ideology around the world. But the more I've been thinking about it, the more I think actually as the Women's Declaration, I'm not sure that we really want to be putting them the gender ideologists first and foremost in the title of our publication. So maybe we need to think about uh, something else such as, um, I don't know, 
a, a report on women's sex-based rights around the world or, or something like that, uh, or the attack on sex-based rights around the world even. Um, I haven't mentioned this to the working group yet, by the way, so um, shh, don't tell them that you heard it here first. Anyhow, um, uh, the content of the book is possibly more important. So um, I'm going to start at the back. The second half of the book will be um, a country survey. And um, we've drawn up um, uh, a questionnaire, which is based on the declaration. So there's sort of questions about each article in the declaration to ask how far your country, um, well, what your country is doing in relation to those, those issues. Um, we've invited all the country contacts to um, complete the survey. Obviously, we only need one response from each country. Um, so we're hoping that the country contacts uh, will do it. If you are a country contact, um, there should be an email in your you know, country at womensdeclaration.org email account. But if there isn't, or if you haven't seen it or whatever, again, please get in touch with me and I will send you um, the details. The point about the, the survey um, is that it will allow us simply to um, compare the state of affairs in different countries around the world. Um, because we'll get every, everybody's information will be presented in, in a similar way. Um, it was very interesting developing the questionnaire, for me anyway, because uh, the first sort of version that we did, I realized had a real kind of, um, I don't know, first world bias or bias towards, you know, the way that things happened here. Um, and um, so it's, it's great because since then Vashnavi and Phoenix and Eugenia have all got involved in the working group, which has really made a, a big difference in, in terms of helping us kind of think about the different ways that things work in different countries and in different parts of the world. Um, and um, so we've tried to put fairly general questions. So hopefully it'd be possible for them to be completed um, by everybody and there's there's room to make comments otherwise um so as i say if you are in the if you are a country contact um can you either uh, you know check your, your emails if you can't do it could you let us know that you won't be able to do it and maybe um if you know anybody else who would be able to do it that you can recommend that would be really really helpful um the second half of the book um is something that actually anybody has the opportunity to contribute to. Well, it'll be the first half, actually, it'll be the opening half, but um, we're going to have um, a series of articles um, about sex-based rights and gender identity ideology. Uh, and we're looking for uh, good quality, well-researched articles on, on a broad range of, of relevant topics and areas. And the, um, I expect most of you get the um, newsletter which goes out on Wednesdays or fortnightly. So in the next newsletter, there'll be kind of a, a formal invitation uh, to put in a proposal if you would like to write an article. Um, and just to tell you a little bit about what we'll be looking for, um, uh, if you want to think about it, um, if you might be interested. Okay, so they'll, well, the proposal, we're just looking for, a, we're just looking for a, a kind of brief summary of what you might want to write about. But um, the article, articles that we publish must relate to, the, to the, the aims of the declaration in some way. So probably looking at the state of sex-based rights and or gender identity ideology. Um, it can focus on one part of the declaration or all of it. You, know, you might want to write an article, for example, about the way that women's sports have been affected by men being allowed to compete in female categories. And that's okay, you know, that's just 
relates to one article of the declaration, but it's, you know, it, it, it would still be uh, of interest. Um, the articles themselves can be up to about 2000 words, so not, not too long so that we've got space to, to include quite a few. Um, the other thing that's really important is that they must have a geographic focus, um, which kind of relates to um, the declaration, but also to our um, a, attempt to kind of look at how things are around the world. But when we say geographic focus, um, that might be a country, it might be a continent, um, it could be a political grouping like the UN, for example, or the European Union. So it doesn't have to be just your country, but it has to relate, it has to have some relation to place because we're looking at things around the world. Um, the articles obviously will need to be, I'm afraid, in English, but don't worry if your English isn't perfect because uh, we can help with that kind of editing and things. Um, in general, our aims are to include uh, articles from a range of different countries and geographic areas. So we're unlikely, for example, um, to publish just several articles about, I don't know, Scotland or even the UK, for example, uh, certainly not more than two, uh, probably only one. Um, but countries could well be included in articles looking at a wider geographic area. So you might have an article about Brazil and another one about South America, for instance, uh, that might include information from Brazil. Um, and we're also looking for articles to cover a range of topics. So um, if we get several proposals, uh, to take the same example on sports, you know, we'll pick one, or if they're very, very, you know, so, so that we get a range of, of information in, in the book. Um, if we accept the proposals, we will try to um, publish all of the articles, but um, depending on the length and the quality of the articles and how many we get in at the end of the day, it's possible that that won't happen. But if in that case, we would look to publish them somewhere else, possibly on our website and, and possibly something else. Um, because it, we're aware that there might be quite a number of good proposals that we can't include, um, in which case I think we should look at other ways of publishing as, as well as on our website. One suggestion, for example, is let's say that there was, you know, seven or eight um, really interesting um, proposals from France, then there would be nothing to stop us or, or, the, or France, uh, the, the French WDI group, from publishing them as a separate little um, booklet or something. So, you know, don't be put, uh, I, I, what I'm really trying to say is that if we get good ideas in for, for things, we will look at ways of making them available. Um, and of course, if they're not published in the general report, then, then they might be in French or whatever language it is. So um, that, that's probably an advantage to not publish everything in English. Now we're going to hear from Mara Rikoy. Uh, she's a birth educator, specialist in obstetric violence, an activist, radical feminist, writer, poet, interpreter, and founder of the Roses Revolution Movement. She is a survivor of sexual abuse. Uh, Mara will talk about the current appropriation of women's spaces and definitions, including our fight for abortion rights and how it, this is affecting birth. Birth abortion have always been the ultimate power to control uh, women. Uh, uh, so, and the title of uh, Mara's talk is Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Thank you so much, Mara, and over to you. So the, the invasion, invasion of the body snatchers, uh, it will be explained in a minute. The first thing I have to say is that my background is, as, uh, as it's been mentioned, on uh, birth. 
when I was invited to speak, I was told to, you know, or it was a confusion whether I am a specialist in abortion rights. I am not, uh, but I was trying to, when I spoke at a, at a recent conference, I was trying to, to send a message to the States because I, I was shocked about the fact that we're talking about losing rights uh, in, in terms of abortion. So the first thing that I was thinking when, when I was thinking about abortion is like, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe that we are there. I can't believe pretty much none of what's going on. So sometimes it's a, it's a feeling of being in a movie. So hence the reason for, for the title of my presentation. Sometimes it feels like somebody's taking over womanhood uh, and this is what it's about. I also thought of a question that Virginia Woolf posed to, to an audience once is have you any notion how many books are written about women in the course of one year? Have you any notion how many are written by men? Are you aware that you are perhaps the most discussed animal in the universe? And then the other question from her as well, why are women so much more interesting to men than men are to women? As someone that has uh, worked with birth for over a decade, I don't think, I have no doubt, and I have written three books about the topic, um, I have no doubt that the interest is because of our power. And I think that our power is the decision of whether to have babies or not. It's that simple. It's like we have this power of creating uh, the future of humankind, of rejecting it, uh, birthing, not birthing. This is a great, great power in my view, whether it's by electing it or rejecting it. But I think this is what is behind a lot of the discussion. And I think it has become very apparent and very obvious to everybody else that this is the thing. Um, so that's my reply to, to Virginia Woolf. Of course, it could be thousands of them, but that's my particular one at this particular moment when I think of that sentence. This is something that I thought about today. If, if you, you ask in Spain, who is one of the best-selling women authors? Uh, it's actually three men. This is something that uh, it was quite shocking to me when I discovered the, the discussion because it was almost presented as some funny joke. It's like Carmen Mola, this woman that everybody wanted to know who was she. She was writing books. Apparently they were very popular in Spain, happened to be three men. And of course, the idea, if you discuss why are three men faking to be one woman writing books, it's always like, well, men can fake to be a woman. Why not? They fake, you know, the women fake being men. And I decided to put gentleman Jack here, not looking very amused by that concept. So we're gonna look at also why the, this equivalence that we're constantly working on uh, about the fact of, well, it's exactly the same, you know, it's exactly the same when women pretend to be men or when men pretend to be women. It's exactly the same when women uh, want to transition or when men want to transition. No, it's not. No, it's not. And I hate the idea that we are actually discussing this as if we were in some neutral, wonderful world where nothing happens and nobody's oppressed. And, you know, it's just, it's absolutely surreal to think that the parameters are exactly the same. And now we want to erase them further. Then I thought, well, no, it's not the same because as Virginia Woolf put it, for most of the history, Anonymous was a woman. So I just give you a couple of examples. It's lots of, of examples of women that wrote under pseudonyms and uh, of male names or they wrote as anonymous because 
we all know why uh, it was not acceptable for women to to write no and it won't be considered the same movies about women with women are not interested they are they're not interested in their women's movies. They are books about women. We, it's like, we're not half of the humanity. <laughs> we're, you know, this sort of different branch. No? This is another thing that I'm trying to build up the fact that for me, the appropriation of women by men is nothing new. This is something I had an issue with in Spain, which was that there was tons of books coming through about how to be a mother. How does it feel to be a mother? and all these different things, you know, uh, written by men. And I have always found absolutely fascinating the, the, the arrogance <laughs> involved. Uh, so one of them is um, how to be a, a mom before and after, written by three doctors, because of course it's also a pathology, the pathology of our bodies is, is a, a different topic, but that's always there. If you're a doctor, if you're a nutritionist, if you're a pediatrician, you can tell mothers what to do i mean you know about everything so these are a few examples that i i found then we come to my my personal theory of the 1980s were very very scary but we didn't see it we were presented with this as cute it was lots of posters i don't know if you remember but um it was lots of posters of men with babies because you know, it was something that was less done and it was a way of thinking, you know, I think we all assume that it was egalitarian men looking after babies finally about time. But, you know, these things always backfire. We know that patriarchy, mm, they always come from, from a different angle and hit us in the face. So I always think of those posters that, that they were back then, the movies, you know, Three Men and a Baby was quite famous in 1987. And then what we have is, this other news from the mirror in this case saying the first gay dads triplets to make history with three parents on birth certificates so we we come to take over completely these three men and a baby what they have done is that they have exploited a woman to have a baby by surrogacy and then we have further development, developments and going a bit further with the whole topic by having another news that says two men, a womb and a baby boy make a modern family. So we are now a womb. This is, this is the, the, the thing. It's very quickly, you know, for me, it's like the, the transition that I see is being done with eradicating the actual woman from the picture. This is what we're doing. And, and we are now vessels. That's what we are. The thing that we were avoiding for so long, that's what we are now. So two men, a woman, a baby. I replied to that tweet by saying, why not saying two men, a woman and a product? Because, you know, since we are talking in these terms, that will be a lot quicker for the, you know, the euphemisms. And I think there is a lot of euphemisms around patriarchy that uh, protects patriarchy from seeing themselves in the mirror of feminism by saying, no, this is disgusting. This is exploitation. This is what you're doing to us. No, so we need lots of euphemisms, and now we have lots of glitter on top of everything, and lots of uh, I don't know alterations of reality and language. So exploitation through euphemisms is my way of looking at it, and and then what that allows is to say crazy things. And I chosen this, this headline in, in Spanish, which I will translate in a second, because to me it's like, how far can you get to bend truth? So 
we have few pictures. Uh, one is of a black woman bursting at the bottom on the, on the right, um, bursting for these men that they are waiting there. So she's the, the surrogate mother. Then the other picture of the baby on the floor, which I, I don't even understand. And then there's an advert of uh, an heterosexual couple waiting for this belly. I have to say that the pictures of bellies I've been complaining for years because I found that they were very dehumanizing to present constantly just a pregnant belly, no head and, and so on. But this is a, a separate campaign I have. Now, the headline is because during the Ukraine war, there was um, still going, but there was a moment specifically that a lot of the headlines in Spain were about romanticized, story, romanticized stories of uh, parents, they call them, that they have bought a baby or they have got a baby through surrogacy in the Ukraine, and they were the heroes, that they were trying to get this baby that belonged to them into Spain, into safety. So it was a lot of, of articles like that. So in this particular headlines, what it says is, the woman pregnant with my child has promised us that she will look after it as if it was hers. Now, <laughs> how insane is this? Yes, so just talking about somebody has the baby that's actually yours. She's carrying this baby and then she's promised to look after it as if it was yours. So we're constantly changing that is nothing new. This is not only pertaining to the discussions we're having nowadays around uh, gender ideology. I think it's just, it's, it happened before. I think we weren't maybe, <laughs> well, we weren't looking at it. Right, so this is a very popular person in Spain, even South America, I think they will, they will know. Uh, he's a, a guy that was born into celebrity, having famous parents, and he's one of the most famous pop singers in Spain. Now, in 1987, in a, in a magazine, he was saying, I will be willing uh, to become pregnant. Then later on in the 90s, he had one of the most talked about covers of a magazine where he said, I want to be a mother. Now we go to the, the actual present or some years ago, and he had become the father of four children with uh, surrogacy. He's now immersed in a, in a very uh, well-known legal battle because apparently they have a discussion that the, he has a, a, a male partner and they're having a discussion about which set of kids belongs to who or something along the lines I haven't followed. But in any case, what I'm trying to say is that this fantasy, this uterus envy that has never been talked about, it has always been there and it's evolving. Yeah, so it's, it's nothing new to me. Now, this is about, I'm making a bit of a jump here, but what I'm trying to go with this is that the discussion of appropriating women's bodies and appropriating who we are, and then being, as I said, as a sort of invasion of, of bodies, not just taking over and then speaking for ourselves, which is, is the, the, the fear. The way I see it is that men have always control our decisions, our bodies, our right to decide our decisions on abortions and so on. What we're having now is that men are infiltrating that discussion. Men are the ones now being pregnant and they're going as far as saying that they are the ones fighting for abortion rights. Now, this is a tweet that I found uh, when we went to that picnic that, um, in Glasgow that I mentioned to Sally uh, before we started. And in, immediately, we have uh, some trans activists 
saying that while gender critical activists were busy having lunch at Glasgow Green, we were busy united um, assisting trans people in campaigning for abortion rights outside the US consulate, blah, blah, blah. So they care more than we care about abortion rights. Yeah? Well, basically that's a video of me saying um, to be careful because the, the trans activists are now suggesting that gender critical are against abortion. Um, so, you know, it was quite funny because I thought they are saying that we are having a picnic, like there's no care in the world. Uh, while in reality, I was actually speaking at that picnic precisely about how we are accused of being against abortion rights, which is preposterous, of course. So not only we are no longer the ones having the abortions, being raped and all these different issues, we're not even defending that, you know, it's just, it, it's puzzling. This infiltration is happening in different layers. Um, so for example, uh, in this week in Spain, it's been talked about a lot that Spain has been very progressive because now we're gonna have a, a menstrual leave. But, you know, some of us are a bit skeptical because this government hasn't done that many great things for women, so we don't know exactly what is this about. However, the first thing that I suggested was in a discussion in television about the menstrual leave, what we have is a trans woman, i.e. a man. Um, then I have also seen that, you know, I, I was thinking about the, the painting or the, the picture from Barbara Kruger, which I have placed on the, on the left, where she says 77% of anti-abortion leaders are men, 100% of them will never be pregnant. That was quite a strong argument in, at the end of the, 90, the 80s. But what we have now is that we can't say that because, you know, there is this argument that well, men are pregnant too which is a, a very kind of confused layer of reality where I have realized that a lot of society doesn't even understand exactly what it means. And we have the university in Glasgow recently suggesting to, well, suggesting not teaching midwives, future midwives, how to catheterize a man uh, for the purpose of inclusivity during childbirth. So this is, <laughs> this is the, 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 bizarre situation that we're all enduring. Uh, we also have a specific antenatal classes for, for trans parents and, and so on. So if, and of course, now we have Mother's Day being portrayed by a trans uh, father who actually, you know, what I see there is the perfect representation for the ideas of men. This is a biological woman, and I hate to say it in this sense, but this is a biological woman that now can look like a man. So men can endure this fantasy that actually men can get pregnant. And that's what they are promoting, regardless that there is no possibility. They are talking about warm transplants and things like that, you know? So, so I saw this today. Um, trans women can teach you more about femininity than cis women can any day of the week. That's not a challenge, it's an invitation. I replied to that, that is true. And it's true purely because if we're talking about femininity, we're talking about gender uh, ideology and how a woman should be like. Yes, you can, because you are the man that invented that rubbish for us to, to be oppressed with. The issue is that you still don't have a clue about womanhood and yet, you know, they're trying, <laughs> trying to, to take over. Um, and this is the, the, the important difference. So let's, let's have a look at what womanhood 
means then. So womanhood in this respect uh, means things like, for example, few cases, Savita, uh, Savita's case, Alapanabar, I think is the surname. Uh, she was in, in Ireland and because of the, the heavy laws about, you know, not having an abortion when she died, uh, she died of sepsis. She had a, a, a terrible death because the baby that was non-viable and was producing a sepsis in her body was the, the most important thing. She was seen as a, as a vessel and therefore, you know, she was redundant in this discussion. She knew she was very ill. She was asking, begging for a for an abortion and she couldn't have one. Uh, so she died and then we have the case in Poland similarly. Um, and we have of course stories of, you know, in El Salvador and, and putting women in jail for having a miscarriage. So we're not even talking about making the decision of having an abortion and having an abortion, which should be a right for all women, but this is, this is womanhood. This is the, 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 the part that we endure as women in our bodies. This is, this is it. This is not um, a disguise. This is not something you can put. This is not lipstick and, and high heels. You know, this affects all of us women, regardless. So um, I think it's, it's extremely important to, to make those concepts clear because what I'm coming to realize these days is that double truth that is being played constantly against us. So for example, in Spain, um, when this thing about the menstrual leave was presented recently, it was a lot of people going backwards and forwards with the concepts, you know? So we have uh, one of the, the people in the government saying, you see, if men had a period, you know, things would be different. And then everybody went against him. I was like, oh, I thought you said that men can have periods. So we really have to push for that double truth not to be uh, acceptable because it cannot be that, you know, sometimes women are the women. Sometimes women are not women. Sometimes trans women are more women than women. All of that cannot coexist. So I am now pushing for, let's stick to one of them, which one is gonna be? Because it's still used politically in many ways and, and in many forms, this kind of constant game of altering reality, changing words as we please. So we should really hold the McAnton for that. If you say woman here, you cannot say trans woman here for the same purpose. And I think that's very, very important. I think that we, you know, that can never be accepted. We have to actually call them transphobic then. It's like, which one is gonna be? If you're saying that men cannot menstruate in this particular occasion, how can you say it in the other one? You know, so I think we need to really think about that uh, consistently. Uh, this is my conclusion with all this, is defending ourselves from the appropriation of our narrative experiences, human rights, bodies, choices, etc., is labeled as misandry, hate, transphobic taking over womanhood and women's rights and all recurrent nightmare. I don't think this is new. I don't think it's, um, you know, I just personally think that the frame for me is, is to understand it as a defense and as understanding that at, at the so-called freedom that people are reclaiming can never happen at the expense of our freedom. That's, that's my bottom line.